Today I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Join me in the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, I've had a number of you ask me when we will be back in the book of Judges. If you'll recall, uh, before COVID-19 came, uh, I was uh, preaching through the book of Judges, and we're about two-thirds of the way through that book. But uh, after all the changes with uh, the protocols for worship and what we're having to do right now, I've just felt led of the Lord to do more topical stuff from week to week. But Lord willing, in the next few weeks or so, we'll be back in the book of Judges. But today, I want to speak to you from Galatians chapter 5, a sermon entitled, It's Growing Season. It's Growing Season. Now, we may be on the tail end of growing season now as we reach the end of summer, but I trust that in the life of us as believers, we will never be on the tail end of growing season, that we will always continue to grow in our faith And exemplify Christ in all that we do and try to be faithful ambassadors for Jesus wherever we go and um, whomever we meet. So Galatians chapter 5, it's a very familiar passage today. Uh, We refer to this section as the fruit of the Spirit. So please note that it is singular when I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, not plural, not fruits, plural. But Paul writes uh, with very intentionality that is fruit, singular. So follow with me, Galatians chapter 5, look in verse number 22, and we're going to look at its growing season. The Bible says, and I'm going to pick up right in the middle of this thought with that little conjunction, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and you may want to underline these, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. So may God add His blessings today as we look at growing season. Have you ever been walking through uh, your home or your place of business with a cup of coffee in your hand and somebody hit your elbow and your your coffee kind of spill out of your coffee cup? Well, whatever's in your cup, if it's coffee, that's what's going to come spilling out. If it is water, that's what's going to come spilling out. We, uh, the Bible says, we have these treasures in earthen vessels, meaning that you and I are like clay pots. And on the outside, we can look just fine, and people can see our lives without really knowing what's on the inside. But you let a little trouble come. You let a little difficulty come. You let a conflict come, or a little bit of hardship come, that bumps our lives a little bit, or shakes us like the earthquake did this morning, then whatever is on the inside of our lives will bubble to the surface and kind of slosh out. Isn't that right? Slosh, that's a pretty good word, right? So whatever's on the inside will eventually come on the outside. In fact, I've said to you on many occasions that uh, throughout Scripture, the Bible pictures the heart like a well and the tongue like a bucket. And as the bucket would reach down into the well and bring up the water, the tongue reaches down into our heart and brings up really what's on the inside. So whatever's on the inside will come out if we get bumped or jostled or shaken just a little. I say that to say this morning, as we look at this sermon, it's growing season, I want us to, with intentionality, look at the fruit of the Spirit 
and make sure that we are letting the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. These attributes that Paul writes about, goodness and faithfulness and temperance and patience and kindness and gentleness, all of this that we would call the fruit of the Spirit, if we can put that in our vessel, then when trouble comes, then when we get shaken, then when we get bumped, that's what's going to come out. So whatever we put in our lives will eventually come out. So my challenge to you today and my challenge to me, I always preach to myself, I just let everybody else listen in, is to put these kind of qualities in my life that when things don't go my way, that the light of the gospel shines through my life. And that's what I want for each one of us. I think more importantly, that's what God demands and expects from each one of us is let the qualities that we see in Christ come out of our lives in good times and in bad. So I want to ask you this morning, what is really deep down in the inside of your life? Have you ever had an event that you would say, boy, that just made me so angry? In reality, when you peel that back, here's what we're saying. That event doesn't make us angry. That event peeled back the layers and revealed that we have anger down in our heart, right? That's why the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Or we could say that event just made me very frightened, well, it didn't really make you frightened. It just peeled back the layers and let us see that fear is a part of the fallen human condition. So nothing reveals what we have in our container like trouble or hardship or difficulty or conflict. And it is so important in life that when the shaking comes or the bumping comes or the conflict or the difficulties come, that what comes out of us are these attributes that you see in the life of Jesus Christ Patience, kindness, temperance, meekness, all of these that the Apostle Paul would classify as the fruit of the Spirit. One noted Christian author named John Stott, he says this about, about the fruit of the Spirit. He said, the mere recital of these Christian graces should be enough to make the mouth water and the heart beat faster. For this is a portrait of Jesus Christ. And I think that is so good this morning, that this is a portrait of Jesus Christ. Let me give you a little context for the book of Galatians. It has been called, not just by Bible scholars, but by the people in the church of Galatia itself, a very severe letter. They accuse Paul of being harsh in some of the wording that he used, in some of the approaches that he had taken in dealing with this young church. And many would say that the book of Galatians is the most severe um, letter in all of the New Testament. And in some ways, when you read it, it does sound kind of harsh, but you have to understand the context. Here's the context for the book of Galatians. It was a young church, and uh, in this young church, there were uh, some who were, who were teaching that the way an individual is truly born again is sure you have to confess Jesus as your personal Savior, but then you have to also maintain the Old Testament Jewish rituals in order to add to that and make it complete. For example, you had to follow the dietary laws. You had to be circumcised. You had to follow the uh, Ten Commandments of the Old Testament the way the Jews did. So all of the following of the rituals of the Old Testament, coupled with the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, then that would um, uh, appropriate salvation into a person's life. And Paul writes this letter to say, perish the thought. We are saved solely on the basis of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Plus nothing, minus nothing. The Old Testament law, there's nothing wrong with that. It's perfect 
in that it was designed to point us to the cross and point us to Christ. But it was never designed to, to, to save us. And that's Paul's whole defense here as he writes this, kind of in an apologetic form that, uh, that, uh, that the Old Testament law was never intended to bring salvation to anybody. But it was just to show us how we have broken God's law. And the remedy for breaking God's law came later when Jesus came. He forgave us of our sins. He moved into our heart. And he gives us a new nature and a new name and a new home and a new conversation and a new life, the abundant life now. So that's the context for Galatians chapter uh, 5. In fact, take your, hold your place here. Back up just a couple of pages to chapter 2. Look in verse number 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. Notice what he says. <clears throat> he says, a man is not justified by the works of the law. Do we see that? No matter how much we try, how hard we try, what intentions we might have. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law, look at this, shall no flesh be justified. Go to chapter 4, look in verse 1. He writes, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he is Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, uh, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. And I love that part, that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. That's the Holy Spirit crying, Abba, or Daddy, Father. Wherefore, you are no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So the whole point that Paul is drilling down on in the book of Galatians is we can only be saved through what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary, not by the works of the flesh or not by the keeping of any kind of an, a ritual or a ceremony or a covenant or a law, okay? Only by the, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So in Galatians chapter 5, if you go back to that, he gives a list of what we call the fruit of the Spirit to encourage us to allow a growing season to take place in the Christian life. It begins when you get saved, the growing season. And we pray and trust that we will continue this growing season all the way up until we meet the Lord. Everybody here is a work in progress, right? No one here has arrived. None of us have arrived. Um, that's why we don't look to each other as our ultimate standard. We look to Christ. He's the only one that's arrived. The rest of us, we are works in progress. We are in the middle of this growing season, or you may be on the beginning end or the tail end, but we're still in this process of being sanctified, of being molded more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. So as we look this morning at this time of growing season, I want you to know that what I've called today the growing season is really a time of transformation in the attitudes and the effects of our heart. Let me say that again. When we talk about the growing season, 
We're talking about the work that God does in us that ultimately transforms us. It transforms our attitudes. He transforms our behavior. He transforms the way we think. He transforms our worldview. So as we move through this growing season of life, little by little, God is working on the inside of us, and he is bringing to consummation one of my favorite passages, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Listen to Paul's words. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be, listen to this, transformed, it's metamorphosis, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this growing season is this transformational process where God takes us where he finds us and he grows us to where he wants us to be. So let me give you a definition for the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you know, I want, I, I believe this is original with me, but it is so good, I have to say to myself, it can't be original with me. So maybe I read it somewhere and then it just came back later on, but I can't give credit because I don't know who it came from, so I'm going to take credit, all right? But let me give you a definition for the fruit of the Spirit. And I think when you boil it down to the nubbies, this is a good definition. The character and qualities found only in Jesus Christ. The character and the qualities found only, you know, in, in fulfillment, in totality, found only in Jesus Christ because he is our consummate example. For example, listen, you might want to just go back as I read through some of these, and we'll hit on them a couple of different times, but look at the fruit of the Spirit, love. Who loved more or who loved more selflessly than Christ? True love is loving those who do not love in return. Joy. That is joy in the midst of painful circumstances not connected to the happenings that are around us. Peace. Remember Jesus says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Patience. That's when things are not going the way we think they should go, are not going as quickly as we think they should go. Kindness toward those who treat you unkindly. I can't help but to think about Christ on the day that he was arrested and he went through his trial. You remember how the folk uh, who came by him during the trial insulted him incredibly? They spit on him, and with an open hand, they insulted him by, by smacking him in the face, and he just took it. Listen, he just, he just took it, and he never once dignified what they were doing and bring himself down to that level, but he just exemplified the virtue of patience. And kindness, kindness toward those who treat you un unkindly, goodness toward those who have been insensitive to you, faithfulness when others have proven unfaithful, gentleness toward those who have handled you roughly, and self-control in the midst of all kinds of temptations. So Jesus is our consummate example. And this fruit of the Spirit is the quality and the characters that we find in Him. So, first of all, how is the fruit of the Spirit produced in us? How is it produced in us? Look in verse number 22. Again, I want you to circle the word fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit. Again, it is singular. It is not plural. So why do I point that out to you, that it is singular? 
because it, is, it has been classified this way. As one fruit <clears throat> with nine different flavors, all right? One fruit with nine different flavors. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, he's growing us. He's transforming us with the goal that the qualities and the characters that we see in Jesus would be emulated in our lives. So when we get bumped, that what spills out of us is patience and meekness and gentleness and kindness and love. Never hostility or anger or bitterness or jealousy or rage or any of those other kind of negative emotions because ultimately what's on the inside is going to come out if you get jostled hard enough. So that's, that's the Apostle Paul's point. These qualities and characters that we see in Jesus are to be in our lives, so when we get bumped, that's what's going to come out. In fact, I want to show you the contrast between what he calls the fruit of the Spirit and the, um, and the works of the flesh. Now, if you were with us, I uh, can't remember if it was on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, but it's been a couple of years ago. We moved through the book of Galatians, so some of this you probably recall. But look at the contrast if you will go to verse number 18 of chapter 5. Look at the contrast here. If you are led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. So if you're living in the flesh, this is what is in your container, all right? If you're living in the flesh, this is what's in your vessel. I may not be able to see it. Nobody else may not be able to see it. But if you get bumped enough, and this is what will come sloshing out, because this is the works of the flesh. Notice, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, or another word for that would be discord, uh, emulations or jealousy, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, Envying, murder, drunkenness, reveling, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a brutal list, isn't it? I don't want that in my container. I don't want that in my vessel. But look at the contrast. This is what we're to have in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit, and then he classifies them all. Love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. So I'm not, I'm not going to read all of them, but he contrasts it by saying the works of the flesh is plural. All of these characteristics. The work of the Spirit is a singular fruit of what God wants to do in your life when he gives us the Holy Spirit and he grows us and he's growing us in our love. And he's growing us in our patience. And he's growing us in our, in our long-suffering, our ability to forgive, our ability just to emulate Jesus in all that we've done. It's growing season in all of our lives. So the qualities of Jesus are not produced by us. Let me say that again. The qualities of Jesus are not produced by us. We don't just, we don't just imitate him. The qualities of Jesus are produced in us. That's the transformational work of the Holy Spirit. He's still working on me. You remember that old song that the kids would sing? It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars and the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. 
how loving and faithful he must be, he's still working on me. Because it's growing season, and he's trying to bring a harvest of joy and a harvest of happiness and a harvest of patience and kindness and gentleness and long-suffering and all that he would classify as the fruit of the Spirit. Hold your place. If you're listening, say amen. Turn back to John chapter 15 for just a moment. The Gospel of John chapter 15. Look what Jesus said. John chapter 15, and look with me in verse number 1. John 15 verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, or the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he, he purges it. That means he trims it back that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, look at this now, and I in you. And as the branch cannot, cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth fruit without me. You can do nothing. If you read that entirety of chapter 15, what you find, there is fruit, there is more fruit, and there is much fruit. As we see that transformational work of the Holy Spirit begin to unfold in the life of a Christian. Well, when you study the life of Jesus, and this is, this is something that, that I find is so uh, liberating for me. When you study the life of Christ, you will find that in his earthly ministry, he never condemned sinners for being sinners, did he? What did he say? What did he say to the woman whom the Pharisees had drug out in the middle of town and they picked up rocks and they were ready to stone her? He said, whoever is without sin, you throw the first stone. They all dropped their stones. They walked away. What did he say to the woman? He said, I don't condemn you. Just go and don't do it anymore. Meaning I'm more interested in where you're heading than I am where you've been because he's the God of second chances. Well, the Pharisees could not get over that. The righteousness that they had was far different. They only looked at the container, the vessel. And on the outside, you would look at a Pharisee, their long flowing robes, and they would draw uh, uh, sew wide borders around the bottoms of the robe so folk would know that they were, were holy and they were religious and they represented God. The problem was... They didn't have the fruit of the Spirit at work on the inside. Really, what they were is this. Someone has described the Pharisees this way. Have you ever seen a a bowl of wax fruit sitting on the table, right? And it looks good, and it looks edible. But you try to pick up, I guess today it it would be plastic more than wax, right? Plastic fruit. And you pick it up and you try to bite into an apple or you try to bite into a, to a banana or a grape that's, that's plastic fruit in a bowl. And you see it's got a good-looking container, but there's nothing to it that can satisfy. And when Jesus, though he never condemned somebody who was a sinner, who did he condemn? Those who were self-righteous. You think about it. The ones who called, calls Christ the most difficulty of any people group in the Scriptures were the religious folk. Those who were sanctimonious, those who were self-centered, 
those who had made it all about themselves. And Jesus would say that you are like whitewashed sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you're filled with the bones of dead men. Just plastic fruit. Because they've never allowed the transformational power of Christ to do a work in their hearts. Well, how is the fruit of the Holy Spirit produced in us? It is produced as we yield more and more of ourselves to Christ. And we don't produce it. Christ produces it in us. Secondly, what does it look like? What does the fruit of the Spirit look like? Now listen, this is not a random listing of these qualities or attributes. They're given in very logical divisions. Now this is not original with me, but listen to this. The first three qualities speak to our relationship to God. Love, joy, and peace. The second have to do with our relationship with other people. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness. And the final three have to do with our own inner state of being, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. In other words, the work of God on the inside of my life and yours will affect every relationship that we have. The work of God or the lack thereof will affect every relationship that we have. It will affect our relationship with the Lord. It will affect our relationship with one another, our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our children. It will even affect our relationship with ourself. Outward, upward, and inward is all affected by how we yield to the, to the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives where He can mold us and shape us to be what he wants us to be, emulating the character and qualities of Jesus. All right, so let's look at each one of these, these uh, words very, very quickly, just a thumbnail sketch of the details of some of these words. So the fruit of the Spirit is, number one, is love. In the Greek, it is the word agape. It means unconditional love, unconditional love. It is a love that only comes from God, and only God can put within our heart an unconditional love. Oftentimes, what we may mistake as love is just an emotion or just a feeling. Or sometimes love may even be, from our perspective, it may be what we would call love may even be selfish. To say, I love you as long as you're doing something for me or I'm getting something from this. But true love is an absolute unconditional love. That's the way Jesus loved. When those individuals lined up to hurl those insults at him, when he was on the cross of Calvary and the pain and the agony, and they were humiliating him and saying, if you are the Son of God, come on down off of that cross. Imagine the temptation just to step off of that cross and to clean the whole mess up. But he does not. He remains there on the cross. He remains there on the cross of Calvary because he's not going to dignify the position of those who have no love in their heart. So he was the model, the consummate example of love. What about joy? Think about the joy of Jesus. Now remember, joy and happiness are not the same things. Happiness is usually dependent upon the happenings around us, what our, what our circumstances are. And that changes with the weather. But joy is something we have in our heart and our life that nothing, even circumstances, cannot remove. Think about the joy of Jesus. He says, my joy I give to you. 
He had that deep settled longing or that, that deep settled longing for the heart of God that brought just such comfort to his life. Look at that word peace. Love, joy, peace. Peace is defined as a state of harmony between two parties. Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Not like the world give I you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In the Hebrew, the word peace is, is shalom. Shalom. It means peace, and it also means health. Um, our English word salvation is kin to that in some regard. Uh, you can see in the etymology, salvation, salve. Salve. What do you do with salve? You put it on a, a cut or a burn, an insect bite or sore or something like that, and it brings healing. It brings health. So Jesus would say that peace, peace with God, peace with each other, peace with, peace with yourself, brings spiritual health and can bring physical health. So Jesus is the consummate example of love and joy and peace and how, how that affects our relationship with God. But also look at how it touches our relationship with other people. Look at the next three. Long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. Look at that word, long-suffering. Some translations say patience. Patience. It's a, you won't remember this when I give it to you at the close of the service, you won't remember this, but in the Greek it's makrothrima. And it's a combination of two words. Um, makro meaning, meaning being afar away from, and thumas being anger. So we would say long-suffering is being far from anger. Isn't that a beautiful picture? To be a long-suffering person is not somebody with a short fuse that goes off at the drop of a hat, but, but because Christ is growing us in this growing season, that when our container gets jostled, that we're not quick to be angry, but we're far from anger because we want this fruit of the Spirit of long-suffering. You see how that affects our relationship with one another? Then he also says kindness. Um, King James says here gentleness. It's the quality of being upright. Then he uses the word goodness. It's just the moral impulse of doing that which is right. So, the first three qualities deal with our relationship to God. And it addresses our transformation with our emotions. The next three deal with our relationship with each other. And it addresses the transformation of our actions. Of our actions. The first with our emotions the next with our actions. How many times have we heard it said, don't tell me what you believe because what you do speaks so loudly. I can't hear what you believe. So it speaks to our actions. And then thirdly, these qualities deal with our, our inner self and the transformation of our own will. So he gives us these final three. He calls them meekness, temperance, <clears throat> or excuse me, let me go back to verse 22, faith or faithfulness. It's the word pistis, faith, pistis. It means to, um, to believe. The author of Hebrews says, um, faith is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus said, with a 
faith the size of a grain of mustard seed. You can say to a mountain, be removed. It is the ability to believe. So if we're looking at this in relation to our own wills and God is wanting us to let go of our will and accept his will, we would say, I want to have faith in Christ. My faith is built on my relationship to him. It is not contingent upon positive circumstances. It is not contingent upon, you know, a positive stock market. It is not contingent upon health of my body. It is not contingent upon good relationships being intact. No, but my faith is built upon him and what I trust in him. That's faith because that'll never be taken away or can never be taken away. All right, so he gives us faith. Look at the next one, gentleness or meekness. It's not weak, but it's being gentle in spirit Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. It was a word that was used to describe a horse that had been broken. He was determined to be meek. He didn't lose any of his strength. He was just strength under control. Beautiful picture, isn't it? So for a Christian in this growing season, as God is transforming us, it is inner strength under control. And then he mentions the final one is self-control or temperance. It is the idea. Now listen, we live in a very ethereal world where we are in tune with our emotions and sometimes emotions run hot. We would even say that we live in kind of an angry world. If you don't believe me, just cut somebody off in traffic and you'll see how angry people can get. Or you go to Walmart on Black Thursday, right? And you can see how angry people are getting when they're shopping for those Christmas sales. Um, I guess that's Black Friday, right? But anyway, you get the point. Uh, Self-control is an individual that's not led by emotions because emotions can be high one day and low the next. And we don't live our lives, though we are humans and we all experience the full gamut of emotions and there's nothing wrong with that, but it has been pictured as emotions are like the caboose of the train. And those of you who went through a new Christians class with me sometime back, we talked about this, that the caboose in the train is the emotions, and, and that's not what's pulling the train. What's pulling the train is the engine, and the engine is facts. We put our facts, our faith in the facts, and that brings our feelings along. And when we put the caboose in front of the engine and we try to live our lives based on emotions and how we feel about things, we'll always be disappointed and unpredictable because emotions are up one day and down the next day. So the Lord would say here through the pen of the Apostle Paul that self-control, self-control is a quality and a character of Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus was meek, but he was not weak. Jesus was in self-control. Imagine the self-control that it would take to let somebody insult you like he allowed them to do. To provoke you to come down from the cross when all he had to do was to call legions of angels to destroy the world and mop the whole mess up. But he he exhibited absolute perfect self-control. And usually, by the way, listen, those that that may be unfair to you or those who may criticize you, you just don't acknowledge them and you go on and you live a well-lived life for Jesus Christ like he did. Amen, church? And you just move right on. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's who we look to. That's who is our guide. So how is the fruit of the Spirit produced in us? It is produced by the work of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like in our lives? Well, what were those, those three qualities that affects our relationship? Faith, meekness, self-control. And then finally, what part do you and I play 
in bearing the fruit of the Spirit. <clears throat> in other words, how do we get this in our lives? Three things quickly, and we're going to close. Number one, and this is, this is stating the obvious, I hope, to everybody here, but it's true nonetheless. First of all, you have to be saved. You have to be saved, meaning we invite Christ to come into our lives and do through us what we could never do on our own. We invite Christ to come into our lives. It doesn't mean that, that life is easy. It doesn't mean that life is free of problems. It doesn't mean that life um, will not have any struggles. It just means that when we really invite him into our lives, that we enter this growing season where he's working and working and working and working to transform us and to build us into the image of his son. Again, the process starts the moment we're saved, and it concludes when we die or when we meet the Lord Jesus. But secondly, not only we must be saved, but secondly, we address our own personal sin. So how is this fruit of the Spirit part of my life? It is when we become aware that even though we're saved, listen, that as a Christian, sometimes we can still sin and do sin. A Christian is not sinless, but a Christian should sin less. The Bible says, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and we make him a liar. And John would go on to write, but the good news is if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have to be saved. And secondly, we have to continually say to God, God, I know that I failed you in my walk and in my relationship, and I want you to forgive me. Not, uh, not, to, not, to, not that the relationships would be broken, but that the fellowship certainly would be if we don't walk with him. And then thirdly, to walk in God's will. Let me show you. In verse number 24, he says, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. That is, we deal with our own personal sin. Look in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. It comes from a word that is a word that was used for soldiers marching in the line. That we walk with the will of Christ in our lives. So, the Apostle Paul would say to us, it's growing season. And God wants to grow us. He wants to mature us. He wants to develop us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Though we've not arrived, we're still moving in that right direction. And let Christ work in our lives, mold us and shape us. So, if you're here today, and we're short on one of those qualities and characteristics that we see in the life of Jesus, and let's face it, all of us, all of us, certainly the one standing here, is short of those qualities and desire those qualities more. Walk with Christ. Let the Holy Spirit work in us to reveal the work that we need to do and then let him do that. Because one day, listen, wouldn't it be wonderful to stand before Jesus and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, you are indeed good to us and you provide and guide and direct and Lord, we just love you for all that you've done. God, as we have this time of invitation and we invite people to make decisions, there may be one here today that has never invited Christ into their lives. That's where it starts. I pray, God, that they would come right during this invitation and say, Pastor Darrell, I want to be saved. Or others who want to unite with our church, or maybe others who just want to come and pray. Lord, you take the invitation and use it as you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.